welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it's the matchup we've all been waiting for. Nick Foles versus Tom Brady. Exactly how you drew it up. Uh, it's clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose week because it's Tim Riggins Day officially here on the podcast and on the ringer.com. And if you don't know who Tim Riggins is, just just get out. Yeah, get out. Get the hell out. Hit pause. Go watch. Go like, hang out with the people who voted for Rising Tide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a rising tide. Do that. And then after you've watched about, you know, four seasons of Friday Night Lights, come back and resume. And we have an official nickname for Jimmy Garoppolo. It is Jimmy GQ. It's the official nickname as voted by you. Can't complain. You voted or you didn't vote either which way. It's Jimmy GQ. It's I mean, it was the correct choice, right? We talked about Optimus Dime was great. Super dope nickname. But, you know, it's it's not the most practical one. Jimmy GQ, it's easy, it's simple, it's the right choice. Definitely the odds-on favorite, and it indeed did win. Now, before we get into the final episode of the roster recap and kind of getting into the, the final tier of the players that we've been evaluating thus far all week, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the real football that's still going on, the Super Bowl. How excited are you about this matchup, Eagles versus Patriots? Ah, oh, man, the... The only exciting part about having the Eagles in there is that we get to um, continue to watch a lot of the great content that like the Eagles.com people put out, like Fran Duffy and, and all those guys on Eagles.com do like really, really excellent stuff. So that's interesting. And it's cool that they get to like keep doing their thing for a little bit more. Uh, but like the Eagles, I kept telling myself going into the weekend that it was like, okay, the Vikings against either of the AFC teams will be great. Like I'll, that, that'll be a fun matchup. Like, uh, as long as that's the scenario that plays out, like that'll be fun. And I don't know. it's just, it's hard to get super excited about Nick Foles, even though, I mean, dude played lights out in the championship game. So whether he's got that in him, uh, you know, again, that's, that's tough to say, but I don't feel great about, uh, Bill Belichick and or about Nick Foles going against a Bill Belichick coach defense with two weeks to prepare. I've just got, Chip Kelly hands dot gif on repeat in my head, just <laughs> just smiling and rubbing his hands together uh, with Chip Kelly. But oh, that's man. yeah, I'm not honestly super excited about this. I wasn't excited the first time I remember seeing the Super Bowl back when Donovan McNabb got handed to him the to broken leg game. He remember threw that? up in the huddle. Yeah, yeah that, I wasn't excited about it then. Not really excited about it now. Um, th- this was probably of all tier point of all of the Super Bowls the most meh Super Bowl I, I could have thought up in my head. Yeah, but. You know what? We're here. I hope it's a great game. Yeah. I'll be actually flying back from Mexico and racing either to my house or yours to watch uh, probably that's the right, second yeah. quarter on to, uh, of this game. So, so yeah. All right. Yeah, that's, that's how we are. It's, it's, eh. Eh. Let's get to the exciting part. Let's talk about our <laughs> roster. So for those of you who have been listening for the last couple of weeks, you know we've been going through a, a three-week evaluation of the 49ers roster based on a model that we built that we think is a good way of examining the state of the roster top to bottom. Because even though we won the last five games of the year, even though we finished out the year six and 10, we still don't think this roster is in a fantastic place to be a consistent playoff performer like you would hope the team would be. We knew this was not going to be a one-year rebuild, but we, kn- we now know that that rebuild is accelerated by getting the one position that is the most important, and that's quarterback. So a a quick recap of the tiers. We recapped it a bit longer last week and way more in depth the week before. So if you need to go back and listen to those episodes after you watch the first couple of seasons of Friday Night Lights, (laughs) I would definitely implore you to do that now. Quick recap for those of you in case you have short memories or smoke a lot of weed. The 
upper left-hand quadrant is going to be the transitional, uh, the, the transitional tier. That's going to be veteran players that fill an immediate need, skillful players that you don't really expect on your roster a long time. And then as you move around the quadrants, you've got your foundational players. These are going to be your supporting players or tier two players that are the high skill players, usually a bit younger, but you expect them to be on your roster for a very, very long time. They're necessary for success and usually play pretty pivotal roles. You've got your developmental tier. These are also not as, they're still younger players, but they're not usually going to be uh, on your, you expect them to be on your roster for a long time. Uh, And then you've got your replaceable players, bottom of the roster players that you don't really expect to be there uh, a long time. The The only tier that we haven't talked about is the core player tier, and that's the tier that we're going to get to today. And again, so the two driving forces kind of with that, right, and, and the things that, that really we try to keep in mind as we're placing players is skill level and then how long do we expect them to be on the roster, right? So with that last point, you do have some level of expectation built in because we do have to kind of project whether we think that player is going to be on the roster in three years, which was kind of you know the, the baseline that we used. Uh, for some players, that's very easy, right? You look at this... 2017 rookie class and we know that they're under contract for three more years after this at least so uh that's a very easy one to place but you get into some veteran players like joe staley right who he has two years left on his contract are they going to re-sign him after that you know it's a little bit more difficult to say so we we had to kind of make some projection with that type of thing um and i think that's the the other takeaway right is it's not black and white there there are definitely shades of gray and we actually kind of wanted to move away from that sort of black and white distinction of the player's either really good or he's really shitty. Um, you know, the, the, there are definitely some judgment calls that we had to make when trying to place players uh, that were kind of borderline between two of those tiers, right? Is is he a developmental player? Or is he replaceable? You know, is he replaceable or is he a transitional player? Like, there were, there were definitely some guys that kind of fall right on that line, and so uh, those were just judgment calls that we had to make throughout the process. Good examples of players in each of the tiers that we've covered already. In the transitional tier, I think you're looking at someone like a Pierre Garçon, someone who is skillful at his position, but you don't really expect him to to produce at a high level on the team for longer than three years. You've got the foundational players. These are going to be the Joukowsky Tarts of the world, the Trent Taylors of the world. They fit a very, very specific role, and they do it very well. Your developmental players, these are going to be the Joe Williams of the world. They're not going to be necessarily all that great right away, but you expect them to be on your roster for a while and eventually grow into a heavy participation role. And then you got your replaceables. This is where you get your Lake and Tomlinsons. This is where you get the players that they, they're, it's not that they're devoid of value. It's just that their value can be easily found other places. Now, there are two players that kind of kept coming up as people were talking about them. One was Tank Carradine. And, and the other I wanted to ask you about, because I thought it was an, inter- an interesting question that we got in the comments this last week on the article, David. Um, but th- to your point earlier, David, about there being some areas of gray and us having to make some judgment calls about where to put them when they're on the border, I think Tank Carradine is one that you might say is either like transitional or replaceable. Yeah. We ended up putting Tank Carradine in the replaceable category, even though I think there's a pretty decent argument to be made that he's a transitional player. The difference we thought was that Tank Carradine ultimately, as a backup six technique, is a skill that you can find multiple places. Yeah. You, it wasn't going to be something that you that was going to be difficult to replace if you just signed someone from another team off the street or off waivers. Uh, and so ultimately, we felt like that put him in the replaceable bucket, even though I do think there's a decent case to be made for him to be transitional. Now, the other person I thought that was interesting, and this is actually not a 49er, I wanted to get your quick thought on where he lay. That's Tom Brady. 
where where is Tom Brady in the tiers right now? Because on the one hand, he's he's Tom Brady. He's fucking Tom Brady. He's yeah. MVP, probably going to win another goddamn Super Bowl. Tom Brady. But at the same time, he's only got, you know, this is he's only got what two more years left on his deal and he's 41. And this is why maybe the team should have kept Jimmy Garoppolo. Does that put him transitional? I mean, it, I, I think with unique cases like that, like I think he has to be for what their roster is right now, right? Because a, a lot, I think in most cases, from a skill level perspective, we tried to measure that based on what we think they are currently, right? Because it, when we looked at some of the comparison teams, right? You know, using the Seahawks from a few years ago, the Falcons currently, um, you know, the Seahawks especially, we tried to look at them where they were at at that point. So like Michael Bennett, for instance, was a, was a good example of a player that when he was signed, that initial year was probably viewed as more of a transitional player, which is where we put him. We all know that he eventually developed in, and became a core player for Seattle, and he was signed to an extension after that initial one-year deal and, and uh, obviously is a very key piece to what they do defensively. So I think right now, the makeup of the Patriots roster Tom Brady's a core player, right? If you remove Tom Brady from the equation, all of a sudden everything fucking falls to shit and in that roster you're you're rebuilding at that point, right? Especially since you you sent away Jimmy Garoppolo and uh you know your potential to maybe rebuild kind of on the fly by swapping out quarterbacks there. Tom Brady goes away, the roster as it's currently made up goes away and, and you're kind of starting from scratch. So I think core player to me makes sense. I absolutely agree. I just thought it was an, an interesting question yeah. and I actually I mean, appreciated yeah. the question because it, it makes sense. It kind of pokes at the edge of the model, which I thought was, was really interesting and just thought I'd, I'd throw it out there. But so let's get to what we feel are the core players that the 49ers have, because w- there really only are three of them and the, the core player tier definition. These are really the players that you build your rosters around. They're considered one of the best players at their position, not just at their position on your team. They're critical to your success, in part because they more than likely play an impact position like edge or quarterback, and they're generally in or near the prime of their career. So there are three players that fit that bill for the 49ers. Number one is going to be Reuben Foster. Number two is going to be DeForest Buckner. And number three is going to be old Jimmy GQ, Jimmy Garoppolo. (laughs) Uh, and that ran, that rounds out the entire 49ers roster from top to bottom over the course of the last three episodes. So what we'll do is we'll dive a little deeper into Ruben Foster and DeForest Buckner. We've covered them at depth uh, in depth over the course of the year, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on them. But we are going to get a little bit deeper into Jimmy Garoppolo, mostly because we've got some great content from the Pro Football Focus Annual that was recently released. So we're going to take some time to talk about that as well. So let's get to Ruben Foster. Ruben Foster had a 90.7 overall pro football focus grade that ranked him fourth at the linebacker role. He was fourth in run defense grade at 90.9, and he was 11th in coverage grade at 82.7. There wasn't anything he really didn't do well, and and this, this among other reasons, is why he's in the core category. He was incredible. I think one of the, the most interesting things about Foster's season was that there's almost nothing surprising. It's surprising that there was nothing surprising, right? Because if you looked at where everybody kind of was at from a consensus standpoint on him entering the draft, and it was like everybody pretty much agrees that he's one of the most talented players in the draft class. But there are some of these other concerns, right? Is how how much is health going to play a factor? And we kind of saw all of that, right? He came in and immediately from the first snap he was on the field, essentially, 
looked like one of the best players on the team. Uh, and, and I think it was very clear early on. But we saw battle through injury over the course of the year, right? There was obviously the much longer stretch of, of missing most of the first half of the season. But then even over the second half of the season, when he did play in every game, we still had you know these kind of little scares, these little stingers and, and stuff like that that would pop up. And and so when he was there, he was great, right? He was he was excellent. I mean, you mentioned the the grades. It was in every phase, right, which is what you want from a linebacker in order for him to get to this tier, I think, in, in the way that we're kind of looking at things. You know, you have to be a pass-down player uh, that can not only contribute there but really excel, right? You have to be able to cover uh, and, and kind of match up with some of these tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. Um, you know, if you can offer some pass rush ability, which I think we didn't get to see a ton from him this year, but I think the the, the ability is there, right? Yeah, I think it's still, still intrigued about what he can bring in, in that phase. So I think, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was an awesome season. It was awesome to watch him uh, actually be on the field consistently over the second half of the year. But in the end, yeah, I think that's kind of the main thing with him is he was exactly who we thought he was going to be. Yeah, the, the thing for me, I think, that really stood out about Reuben Foster was the speed at which he plays. And that's a result of yeah. both his actual physical speed, but also his processing speed. The I think the more I think and I hope the Niners are building their team around the concept of speed. In fact, isn't that one of like their core tenants that they put up on the wall after Shanahan took over like like team speed? Yeah. One, yep. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. So I know that they're building it with speed in mind. And I think that that you have to in today's NFL, you look at a team like the the Falcons. And while the Falcons weren't able to to make it deep into the playoffs, the one playoff game they did win, it was apparent how much faster they were than the team they just obliterated. And it, it it looked like one team had their foot in cement blocks, and then and then there was the Falcons, yeah. and and they were whether it was on defense or on offense, they were just faster than their opponents. And I hope that the Niners are building their team in that model, and Reuben Foster is a core piece of that. Just the way that he processes the game, the way that he sees, and then is able to react to what he sees on the field, and then because of his physical skills and technique execute on making a tackle or going sideline to sideline. It's just really, really impressive. And, and I think that Niner fans were spoiled for a very long time with Willis and Bowman to think yeah. that that was just the way linebacking was played. It's <laughs> a perfectly normal thing. Yeah, right. And it's really not. Like it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's not usual. It's not normal. And to see that kind of linebacker play again is is really exciting, I think, to, to see that in San Francisco. And I think that point on speed is is so key. I mean, the Falcons are a great example, but even you look at uh, you know Jacksonville and their defenses here yep. running the same type of scheme. You Miles look at, Jack, your uh, boy. You, yeah, you look at um, you know the Seattle defenses over the last few years, and and I think speed is such a big part of what they do defensively because again, the scheme and and kind of staying relatively simple, you know, from that perspective. Uh, Again, we talked about it a lot over the season. You're, you're really trying to take away the deep stuff in, in that scheme. You're, you're kind of giving up to an extent some of the underneath plays. But what you see from the teams that are running this defense at a really high level that you didn't really see with the Niners consistently is they have all of those athletes underneath. So you give up the underneath stuff, but then you have somebody like in the, in a Reuben Foster that's closing and making a tackle on that player immediately and, and limiting yards after the catch. And when you're doing that, it makes it very difficult for the offense to, 
you know, one stay patient enough to keep making those throws when they know that it's just going to kind of, you know, lead to nothing and they're going to get tackled immediately. And, and so you force them into taking chances that they really don't want to take or shouldn't take into that defense. And, and, and it's just, you know, one mistake from them in the drives over, right? They, a guy drops that pass instead. And so it just makes it much tougher for them to move the ball down the field and I think that's the type of player that we need. I mean, Reuben Foster right now is one of the few players that, that is doing that consistently. But you start looking at some of the other pieces, right? The, the Tart when he was out there. I think Colbert is that type of player. You know, these guys that can come up and make plays immediately on the ball, that's a key part of this defense. And I think Foster is, is obviously the perfect example of that. Now, the injury concerns have got to worry you. I mean, he, he's already made the drinking game on a finisher beer drink, which is if he stays down the field with an injury... You finish your beer. You finish your beer or your drink. Hopefully, it's not like a high liquor drink, because we're not looking <laughs> to kill people. Hey, we're just looking to have a little bit of fun. So make your own choices. Yeah, make good choices. But does that worry you at all? Does either that or the fact that he is now in stage two of the drug policy because he got arrested in Alabama for having some weed on him, and he may even get a one game suspension under the personal conduct policy because he was arrested. Both of which I think are. Dumb rules. Yeah. I, I think that he should be allowed to smoke as much weed as he wants, and especially because he is in California, a state where that's legal, even more so. But again... Why are you doing that shit in Alabama? Well, and also, <laughs> and also them's the rules, right? Like, right, like yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're your workplace established rules. They're stupid rules. I get they're stupid rules. Yeah. But you got to follow the workplace rules. Um, you know, and he already had the diluted sample and, and that whole nine. Does that worry you? Are you getting Alden Smith trigger warnings is really the question I'm asking. Um, I think it would be, I think it'd be silly to dismiss it completely, right? I, I think it it has to be on the radar. I think it has to be, uh, you know, at least somewhat of a concern. Um, I think less so with the injury stuff. I mean, the injury, and and I forget where it was or who who said it, but it, it's something that kind of made sense. Is over the second half of the year, right? It was a lot of stinger stuff, and and um, a lot of times the only thing that really helps to heal that stuff and prevent it from happening again is, is like time and yes, rest. John Lynch, who said yeah. it, I think. Yeah. Cause John Lynch used to get stingers when he played. And, and so, you know, I, I mean, who knows that could be a load of bullshit. I have no idea. Um, but I think, I think it on the surface at least makes sense to me. And I'm like, okay, you know, maybe that's just something he needs an off season, let his body get healed up and, and it shouldn't be a concern going forward. Um, but yeah, I think the, the total package of it, right. Uh, of the injuries and kind of some of the off field stuff, I think it, it has to be on the radar there. I don't know yet, you know, exactly how concerned, I, I don't think it's overly concerned with it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of the Reuben Foster puzzle right now for sure. All right. So let's get to DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner is the other core piece. He had a 90.4 overall pro football focus grade that tied him for the sixth highest at his position, which was defensive interior. His 89.6 pass rush grade was third behind only Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox. And that's great company to be around. They're okay. They're pretty good. Really, really good. Uh, Fletcher Cox, apparently, uh, not just good at texting women that he wants to put babies in him, but also good at football. Uh, (laughs) That that text message thread is still one of the best things I've ever read. If, if you haven't read... I don't know that I have any idea what you're talking about, Really? Uh, I you, thought you were going to go toward like him not watching football outside of football. No, uh, no, no, no. I saw that too today, which I thought was funny. He's like, I keep trying to tell you I don't watch football. It's probably because he's busy texting other dudes' wives. <laughs> so he got, he, got sued by, uh, he got sued by a guy in some state. I forget which state. It was like North Carolina or something. Uh, because it's one of the few states where you can sue someone for breaking up your marriage, basically. 
And you have to prove that they were the primary reason that your marriage is broken up and that they had like intent to do so. And so because he got sued for it and, and, and was charged, they had discovery and they pulled all these text messages. And there's these text messages from Fletcher Cox and this other dude's wife. And it's just like, I want to put a baby in you. Like that is the one line text message. And she's, <laughs> and, and this woman is like, ha ha ha. Like, you know, you know that I love you and blah, blah, But like, you know, I've got a husband or whatever. You can Google it and read it, but it's, I mean, it's pretty amazing because what do you expect from a guy named Fletcher Cox? I mean, his name says it all. His name <laughs> says it all. But, I, I mean, no, no words. Yeah. No, no words. But I guess the key stat about Defoe is that uh, his pass rush grade was exceptional. It was third behind only Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox. But he did not have a single unblocked pressure, which means it wasn't like he was running free because of scheme. Every single pressure that he got on his way to being the, the third best behind Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox was was fighting through blocks. Yeah, I mean, he had to consistently defeat blocks. Um, and, and I think this is an area where, you know, if you're paying attention only to sacks, right, you're, you're maybe disappointed with his performance there. And it was, uh, and he only finished with four four sacks. But that's just not, especially as an interior player, there's so much more to it than that. And, and so you look overall, 52 uh, total quarterback pressures, and 19 hits, which was the most of any position, any defender in the league this year, 19 hits. Um, he's getting there. He is affecting throws. He's affecting plays in the pass game. Um, you know, that's not, I didn't grab, I mean, I should have grabbed, he had a, a number of batted passes this year as well. Like there's so many things that he's doing um, in that phase that, that are just exceptional. And, and I think right now he's a great example of a player, you know, when, when we start to kind of look at, Solomon Thomas. I think Buckner had a, a, a little bit better rookie season than uh, Solomon Thomas did this year, but it wasn't but not like outlandish. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't that much better that you would be like, oh, there's a huge delta here. I think David Lombardi in his, he actually had a really good write up in The Athletic where he broke down some of the PFF stats and and looked at Solomon Thomas and actually compared Solomon Thomas's numbers to uh, DeForest Buckner's rookie year. And they were remarkably similar. And in yeah. year two, Defoe takes a leap. And, you know, we're not going to go down the Solomon Thomas rabbit hole. We talked about that a bit last week, but it, it really is a market improvement. Yeah, I, I think it just is a, a is a good example to see that you can get there and, and get to elite level play, which is what he was at this season, um, without necessarily bursting onto the scene in a, in a massive way. Like, you know, obviously this year the cornerback class was great. And you had guys like Marshawn Lattimore and, and Tredavious White that were playing at a super high level right away. Um, and you had guys like... Uh, even not high picks, you know, you had players like Carl Lawson, who we like kind of, you know, uh, b- before the draft a little bit, he came out um, and, and had a really big season from a pressure standpoint. So there were guys, you know, that do come out and, and they're flashy and they're they're big impact players from day one. And that's awesome. You know, Ruben Foster is is that type of player. Right. Uh, right away had a big impact. But uh, just because you don't have that sort of impact in your rookie season doesn't prevent you from becoming a very good player. And I think Buckner uh, is kind of the the shining recent example of that uh, because he was, I mean, he was dominant this year. He, he, he was. was a dominant force this year. Now we do know that pressure affects games. That was one of the themes early on because a lot of people really glom onto the, the sack number, but pressure does still affect games. It does take, you know, something like what, 20 or 30 points off of your quarterback. Yeah. Rating. On average, it's around 30 points. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's a huge, huge drop that that is a big, significant drop. I would usually make a joke about Nick Foles at this point, but hey, man, can't do that anymore. We live in a new world. <laughs> Did you see that one play where he like stuck in the pocket, even though he had like four mitts on him, and he like it was it was the weirdest thing. The pocket's literally like the size of a pinhole, 
and he gets a shoulder grab twice, and he's able to yeah. like just shimmy out and throw that long bomb to Alshon Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. It was just it was really impressive. Sorry, dude, he uh, he was great in that game. Had like yeah. the I think it was like the fifth highest QB grade in the playoffs, uh, and the PFF single era. and the single highest yardage for an Eagles quarterback this year. Like yeah, I mean, just, it was a, an awesome game against an incredible defense. Yeah, yeah. I know. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was but, weird. So is, is there anything that concerns you about DeForest Buckner at this point? Because for me, honestly, it's, it's like, no, because he's played a lot of snaps. Yeah. I, right. I think if, if you have to point at one thing, because even in, in run defense, um, he was a lot better this year. I mean, there's still, um, I, th- I think just as a product of his height, right, and his, his size, like, he's always going to have to work at double teams. Like you get two guys on him, you know, in the interior there that are just able to get underneath him. Like that's something that's always going to have to be a constant focus of his, right? Where he's really worried about pad level in those situations. And so there there are going to be some snaps um, where things don't look great against double teams. And I think that's going to be fine. It's something that you live with um, because of everything else that he brings to the table, but overall um, still, you know, a very good run defender. And so you don't think you're really worried on that front. I think it is snaps, and I think that's kind of why, again, not to go too far down this, but I think why it's okay to have guys like Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead um, on the roster as well to complement him is, is hopefully if you get to a place where uh, you know you have the full complement of defensive linemen that you really want, those guys aren't playing a ton of snaps. You know, I'd like to. I, I don't have numbers off off the top of my head, but um, the Eagles' defensive line. I, I think was is just. A great I was one. pulling up their roster right now. Yeah, because like, that's the exact example I have. They in have my a head. deep rotation of, of guys, and so even though you have some some incredibly talented players like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox there, um, that you wouldn't be surprised on a lot of rosters if those players were were getting 90 percent of the snaps or more. They don't have to do that, and, and I think that's uh, something that you should shoot for on the defensive line is to be able to have enough players there. You, you can't have too many guys that can, that can rush the passer. You just can't. I mean, you've got um, Curry, you've got Graham, you've got Cox, you've got Long, um, and, and that's just their starters. If, if you look at, I'm going to pull up their roster here real quick. Uh, but yeah, you go to tackle safeties, blah, 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 interior defenders. There's no one that's no one that's starting. Like even Bo Allen. Bo Allen is yeah. probably like the the one that doesn't get as much stuff and as much press, but he's still above average when he plays. Uh, and then you've got their edge defenders, Vinnie Curry, Brandon Graham, Chris Logg, Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett, the rookie, of course, being the worst out of all of them. And I put worst in air quotes for those of you who can't see me. Um, those of you who can see me, you're creepy. There's a restraining order for a reason. <laughs> but yeah, of those players, so they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, seven players um, between 400 and 700 snaps. Nobody played more. So Brandon Graham was the the lead snap guy for them, 662, which was what, like 200 plus less than uh, than what DeForest yep. Buckner played. So I think if you can get in that range where you have, you know, a rotation that can go six to eight guys deep and you can really get them all in that range, it's just so much better for you because, uh, you know, they're they're fresh, they're, they're able to stay healthy, um, you know, have a higher chance of staying healthy. And then they're able to give kind of max effort on the snaps they are out there. So you're getting better production out of those players. All right. So let's get to the shining beacon, the savior himself. One of Mr. Jimmy Garoppolo. He's going to be the third core player. Uh, and, and what we're going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo is, is pull out some of the stats that we gleaned from Pro Football Focus's quarterback annual, which is a tome of information that they put out a couple weeks ago. That is really, really good info. I would highly, highly recommend that you read it. I did post some of the takeaways, actually all of the takeaways that we're going to talk about here. I posted them in article form on Niners Nation. So go give that article a read. And if you want to get the quarterback annual in your own hands, there's going to be a link at the bottom of that article where you can sign up for PFF Edge. 
And once you sign up for Edge, you can get it. It's free with that thing, and you get all the grades and all that yeah. whatnot. But and that link gets you $10 off, too, exactly. for, for a year subscription. So I definitely recommend you do it and read through all of it yourself because these are going to be some summary points, but there's a lot in there that we didn't get to and won't be able to get to. But let's put Jimmy Garoppolo's season into context. He had an 85.2 overall pro football focus grade that ranks him 10th. In the NFL at the quarterback position, we can have like three kind of top level takeaways from the PFF chapter and and the quarterback annual in general. And the first is that Garoppolo excels on NFL throws. Now, you might be asking yourself, he throws in the NFL. Aren't they all NFL throws? (laughs) You know, you would think that. But let's start with what NFL throws are not or or the non-NFL throws. These are throws that are either not valuable, meaning that they have a low expected points added or are so routine that most quarterbacks can, can consistently produce on these throws. So, for example, a short rhythm out route against soft zone coverage should be, a, should be a throw that even Blaine Gabbert makes. And as a matter of fact, we saw Brian Hoyer make a ton of these. Yeah. Short, outbreaking routes in soft coverage, really quick, no pressure, there's not a defender within five yards, pretty easy to make. Now, David, what's an NFL throw? So the NFL throws are going to be basically the opposite of that, right? They, they are throws that are both valuable. So they're, they're giving you a high expected points added, which effectively means that they're, they're increasing your chances to score, right? You have a better chance of scoring at the end of this play than you did before it. These are your kind of, you know, typically throws that are a little bit further down the field that are going to set you up in better position to get points on the board. And they're throws, therefore, that not every quarterback can consistently make. You know, you may see players that can kind of, uh, you know, get one in here and there, but these aren't throws where you see across the league quarterbacks make them time after time like they do with those non-NFL throws, right? Where you're basically, if, if you're in the NFL and you're in a game and you're, you're uh, in that position to begin with, you're expected to make some of those non-NFL throws. Um, the NFL throws, those are the, the tougher ones to pull off. So an example of an NFL throw would be like an intermediate dig route that gets over the linebacker and in front of the safety on third long and converts for a first down, right? So it gets you, it expects more points because well, you wouldn't even say right? convert for a first down, right? Because outcome isn't really part of it. So, so we make sure that we're assigning the proper credit, you know, and not giving quarterbacks a ton of uh, un- all that often. Perhaps my favorite takeaway from the QB annual was th- they had this big section on predictive versus descriptive stats. And descriptive stats just meaning that they're stats that describe what happened, where predict- predictive stats are stats that kind of tell you what is going to happen next, or not what is going to happen next, but is what, what is likely to happen next. And when we look at these statistics that are more predictive, Jimmy Garoppolo still performed really well across all of those stats. And so the, the instances in where stats are predictive are where the quarterback has the most control over their performance. And these are going to be throws where there is no pressure, where they have a clean pocket, uh, and where there's no play action, meaning that they're, they're not going to be relying on something that is scheme-based or doing something hurried or running outside of the pocket uh, kind of in a broken play in order to make something happen. And on those plays, Jimmy Garoppolo performs really, really well. His 110 passer rating from a clean pocket was sixth best, and his PFF grade was fourth. His 116.8 passer rating from a clean pocket without play action was the best and, and that's really, really good. I mean, his 10.2 uh, attempted yards per, or its air yards per attempt 
was uh, also adjusted. So adjusted yeah, adjusted, which is one that's um, it's 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 similar to passer rating in terms of what it takes into account, right? So you're taking in uh, yards per attempt, basically uh, completion percentage, and then you get a bonus for touchdowns and you know get docked for interceptions. So it's it's similar inputs to passer rating, but I think. Uh, is a little bit more accurately weighted. So if you're not a huge fan of passer rating, which you know I'm not, even though it's a you know a, an easy thing to reference and I think works in some cases, but this is another one that's a little bit more advanced where he was still uh, also the best. You know, so in situations where you're looking at stats that are that are more stable year to year, that are that quarterbacks are able to sustain year over year, they're they're the ones that Jimmy Garoppolo has also succeeded uh, that also that he also succeeded in in 2017, meaning that we're probably going to see Jimmy Garoppolo continue to be good in 2018. And that's really, really awesome because I've, I've never seen an analysis of the stability of certain quarterback metrics year over year. Um, and that was, I thought, A, fascinating, but B, also gave me some hope for his performance moving forward. Definitely, because I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not wrong to be um, mildly concerned about the, the sample size issue, right? Again, it, it is only five games, and, and I think... We've talked about many, many times over the years about how in football, especially, you know, it, it takes time for that kind of performance to really stabilize and for you to feel really competent in it. But I think when you when you break it down and, and look at it in this fashion, right, okay, what are the things that would kind of, you know, uh, prop up a performance and make it look better that w- really wouldn't be sustainable over the long term? We don't see many of those things, right? It's It's not... Like he was terrible, you know, when he was in a, uh, in a clean pocket and just had some sort of outrageous performance when he was under pressure, right? Which is unlikely to stick around. Um, so he just didn't have any of those elements to his game where you're like, yeah, that's that's a really strong area for regression, right? I'm not expecting him to kind of continue that level of play. Um, it was it was all stuff again. It was on going back to the NFL throws. It was on difficult throws, um, just kind of being able to consistently make that stuff happen. So overall, I think if you're looking for an area for Jimmy Garoppolo to improve upon in 2018, it's, it's maybe more of those big-time throws. And these are going to be these high-difficulty throws at the, high, at the kind of top end of the spectrum in both difficulty and value. They're going to be throws excellent. They're going to require excellent ball location. They're generally further down the field in, a, in tighter windows. It's kind of be the elite or the cream of the crop of NFL throws. He ranked just 38th in big-time throw percentage out of 40. Uh, he only had four big-time throws out of his 176 attempts compared to 67 throws receiving a positive grade, which was the highest percentage in the NFL. So it was a pro- really weird, it was a really weird split. Um, you don't see that. A he lot did lots where, of things really well. He yeah. just didn't do them like at the elite level for multiple throws, which, you know, over the course of the year and, and with more time in the system, you hope that that gets better. But that even if that doesn't improve, you're still going to be left with a very, very good quarterback. Yeah. I, I think, um, there's again it's hard to take a lot of issue with what we saw from him through five games i think this is the one uh you know thing that sticks out definitely is is his ability to get the ball downfield i mean you look at uh how he graded on throws over 20 yards downfield and that was you know one of the lower grades um and it's just like i said it's weird You, you typically see the quarterbacks that are consistently throwing you know making positively graded throws they tend to also be among the the leaders and up there in big time throws, right? They're they're having the really really good throws mixed in there as well, um, and so it was odd to see him, you know, on one hand, make more good throws than basically anybody else during the time that he was there, but not really see many of them reach that top end of the spectrum. So 
Uh, I think that's kind of an area of focus for him. And, and I'm sure that, you know, he's going it, to, it'll probably be something that they want to focus on over the off season. And you would expect him to kind of put time into improving that. Um, and, and again, like you mentioned, it, it's not necessarily a killer in the long term if he doesn't get a ton better. I mean, I, I think it's, it would be a little weird if he stayed that, if they were that infrequent going forward, right? If he stayed that bad on throws, you know, over 20 yards downfield, um, that would be a little weird. You would expect even just through sheer volatility, right? And kind of seeing that stuff, uh, you know, go back and forth from year to year. He's going to have some seasons there where he's able to put it together a little bit better uh, by sheer chance. So I think that's kind of the one thing to keep an eye on. But again, overall, hard to take many issues with this game. Yeah, the target frequency, Jimmy Garoppolo ended the year with a 10% deep target frequency and NFL average was 13%. I figured some rough calculations based on his projected attempts this year over the course of 16 games and really what it amounts to that difference between, you know, where Jimmy Garoppolo was and NFL average was 16 throws over the course of a year, which is, if you can do the math, about one throw a game. <laughs> so really what you're talking about in terms of getting him in terms of attempts to NFL average is about one throw a game. You hope that what would correspond with that additional deep attempt a game is also a, a corresponding lift in how well he makes those throws. And I think if he can do those things and get to, you know, kind of NFL average on both of those, then you're not only going to see someone who can dominate at the, at the intermediate areas, but also be very, very good on deep throws. And then you're, you're probably going to be talking about him being in like that top five, top two, top three quarterback conversation yeah. over the course of a year. And if he can, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, it sucks to go to Brady as like an example because it's hard to use no, guys like that, right? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it it feels unfair to go to guys like uh, it's like, absolutely like Brady unfair. and, and Rodgers, um, you know, as, as examples. But um, I think Brady is a great example of a player that improved his deep ball as his career went on. Right. He was not a great deep ball thrower. He was somebody that lived in the short. And I mean, even his game today still predominantly lives in the short and intermediate area. Right. That's still where he makes his money is is, is on those type of throws. Um, but he's gotten a lot better on the deep throws over the course of his career. And, and that's been an area where he's really shown a lot of improvement, um, you know, over the last several seasons. So I think it is an area that if, if, if he continues to work on it, it, it's something that he can improve. Um, but you, you can, if you're good enough on the short intermediate stuff and you have a good enough, uh, you know, coach designing your offense, which obviously we feel pretty good there. Um, you, you can definitely, live with an offense that that does most of their damage in that short and intermediate area so now it's on to the offseason so we've spent all this time breaking down the roster into our five tiers and we know where each player stands of course we're going to put we've got all of our lists on the Niners Nation pages for the podcast in case you want to see where the entire roster breaks down maybe we'll put the entire roster up on on this one as well just to make it easy for you but what the hell did this exercise tell us about going into the offseason because what good was this exercise and what good were the last three weeks that you spent with us if they're not going to help us figure out what the hell we're going to do next in free agency and in the draft? So the first, I think, takeaway that we've got from all the work that we did is that we have the ability to add a few transitional players in free agency. Remember, transitional players are these stopgap players that they're still very skilled veteran players, but you just don't expect them to be on your roster for you know, longer than two or three years. So we have the ability to add some transitional players. Why? Well, one, we've got the cap space, sure. But the cap space really is a product of not having many transitional players currently with high price tags. 
Pierre Garçon is the only transitional player with a 2018 cap figure above $5 million. You've got Malcolm Smith, Elvis Dumerville, and Earl Mitchell. Those are the other guys, all of which were signed this offseason, but they're all in the $3.5, $4.5 million range. So we don't have a glut of old players or a glut of transitional players from previous regimes that we're still having to bankroll because we mistimed runs or we made bad decisions in free agency. I mean, hell, our former GM just really didn't do a lot in free agency. <laughs> he thought he could kind of script the bottom of the barrel. And so we don't have a lot of those big contracts we've had to float. And I think the other big factor there is you look at the, you know, the three core players that we just talked about. And by the time next season rolls around, only one of them uh, is going to have like an actual veteran contract. And that's going to be Garoppolo once they uh, get that extension done. But the other two are still on their rookie deals. And, and when you look at core players, and again, the, by definition, these are your best players. These are kind of the top guys at their position. These are the ones that you're really building around. Um, you're expecting those guys typically to carry high cap figures, right? If they're going to be among the best players at their position, they're going to get paid typically like the best players at their position. And so a, a lot of times you're having guys kind of take out uh, an outsized portion of your cap space, and, and the 49ers won't have to deal with that even once they get Garoppolo signed. I mean, that's obviously the big one. That's going to be the single biggest cap figure that they have. Um, but you're still in pretty good shape when when you don't have to pay core players what they're worth. We have a two- to three-year window where most of our best players will still be on rookie contracts. And so we're able to afford more players via free agency. And we have spots to actually play them because we still have positions that we need to fill. So when we think about strategy in the offseason... This is one of those years where I think the 49ers should indeed be aggressive in free agency. And by that, I don't mean going out and signing all the top tier players that they can. But it's going to be finding those transitional players that fit their system, that they can fit under a certain number, and and go and, and get a bunch of them and sign them and start filling a lot of these gaps on the roster and using them as stop caps because we're still going to have a few years until we really need to start worrying about extending our own players. So we've got this, this little buffer area where we can fill them and we can start to win with some influx of talent. I mean, you've got 2019 when you start having to worry about like Goodwin, Ward, Tar- uh, and Tart, um, and, and then maybe like Armstead if you're going to extend him. And then in 2020, you've got Defoe. And in 2021, you've got that 2017 draft class. So I mean, you've got some time in there yeah. to go out and I mean, sign some free agents and churn them and burn them and try and win right now. Yeah, I think you have an opportunity. I mean, really want to focus on, I think, shorter term deals, right? I think those two to three year contracts and, and whether the the actual um, you know contract length is more than that is irrelevant. We're talking about kind of like the practical contract length, right? And, and meaning at what point can they kind of get out of that deal without really having to, to pay a whole lot of money, right? So you want most of the guaranteed money to fall in those first two to three years. And because there's really no way, I mean, you look at the, what the hundred million plus that they have in cap space, there's almost no way that they're going to spend all of that. So you can give guys, you know, pretty good contracts and put a lot of that, uh, that cap money in this first year, right. And next year when you're going to have the space and you're not really going to be able to spend it all. And by doing that, you you're able to get some, you know, again, some better players that can come in and contribute right away, right away. Um, but you're also not really hurting your long-term prospects, right? You're not putting your long-term cap situation in jeopardy because eventually if, if everything goes to plan, right, and this is going to be a consistent competitor, every year you should be adding at least a couple players via the draft 
um, that you're expecting to kind of stick around and be key pieces, whether those are core players or foundational players. They're guys that you want to have around long term. And when those rookie deals get up, you want to have the money to be able to extend those guys and keep those guys around, right? Because that's, I mean, the homegrown players are still the basis for having uh, consistent winning teams, but they have a window right now where they can supplement that and get some transitional pieces in there to kind of uh, speed up the process a little bit. Yeah, I mean, overall, I'm looking at like our, our tier three players, and there's just not very many there. They just really yeah, aren't. I mean, Especially there's ones nobody that's taking up big cap space right now. And even then, some of them are going to be, I mean, four of them are going to be unrestricted free agents. Um, you know, th- there's just not a lot of, of players there. There's there's definitely room to fill this roster out with free agents, and I think the team should go out and get them. But if you are going to go and get them, what positions do you get them at? And, and what the model tells us is that there are definitely some positions of need that are pretty glaring, not just because there's not a marquee player, but because there's also no depth. You want the bulk of your resources to be spent on players at the most important positions. And so not only are we going to take a look at where the positions are kind of lacking based on the tiers and and the depth, but it's also going to be positions of need that are going to impact the game a lot. So while, yes, we may need someone at like, I don't know, backup fullback, we're not really going to put that at the top of like the gotta go get them, you know, (laughs) kind of area. And, And this is where I think interior offensive line also falls for me as well. It's like, yes, it's an absolute need. But we saw what Jimmy Garoppolo did to our line from yeah. week like week eleven to week fifteen. It's like one week we're like, oh my god, what interior dude's gonna blow us up? And the next week the Jaguars are like, how did he get that pass off? I don't know how he did that. I and- think uh, I think like linebacker right is kind of a good example of could they use another player next to Reuben Foster? Sure, absolutely. Nobody's going to complain about upgrading over Brock Coyle. We talked about that a little bit, um, you know, in one of the previous episodes with the linebacker group where it's at. Like, yeah, I would love to be able to upgrade some of those spots. But is that going to to, to move the needle as much as improving at other positions? No, it, it's, it's just not. So I think that's why when we look at a lot of these players, I mean, interior line, not, not to skip ahead, they need bodies there. Like they're just going to need players there because of where they're at. And, and some of the guys that are hitting, um, above, like, and, and we're going to need players above the Tomlinson Devi line. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no more, please just no more Zane Beatles. I just don't want to deal with that. Anymore. But, but we don't need, you know, n- we don't need to necessarily go after a Norwell. Right. Yeah. And, and while I wouldn't be upset if we did, I don't know that that's necessarily where the best spending of that money is going to be. I think you can get yeah. away with a cheaper transitional player there and spend that higher dollar somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so let's go through the positions that we kind of established that we really need to go out and target, whether it be in free agency or the draft. First is cornerback. Now, only two players are currently on the roster. Now, for those of you who are trying to understand me through my flu speak, uh, it's cornerback, not quarterback. Uh, yeah, ha- we're, we're good at quarterback. We're not going to worry about that one for a bit. Having the flu sucks, by the way. Uh, <laughs> sounds but, terrible. Yeah, it's, it, trust you better me, not sound, give it to me. I'm going to be pissed. Sounds, it sounds awful. I'm glad we're not sharing a mic. Uh, but cornerback, only two players are currently on the roster that we're even comfortable putting on a football field. Uh, <laughs> and that's Witherspoon and Kawan Williams. We had four replaceable players here. Two of them are hitting unrestricted free, agents, uh, free agency. Goodbye, Dante Johnson. It was nice knowing you. You were fun for the drinking game. We'll always have the Johnson rule, but, you know, get out of my life. Um, <laughs> but this is the second most important position on the roster at this point that, that we need to upgrade. I mean, we need, 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 need players. And I think that this in free agency, it, it needs to be addressed in both free agency and the draft. 
Yeah, they they need. I mean, it's a combination of needing bodies. Um, they need players that are going to be able to fill out their roster there. Um, but they really need, you know, some top end talent um, to to come into this position. I think this position is so so important. Um, you know, and I have kind of waffled. I think some of those top positions you can you can argue the order. You know, after quarterback, of course, nobody's going to argue with quarterback as being the most important position on your roster. But I think in some order. Uh, after that, you typically have, you know, your cornerbacks, your edge players, and then your receivers tend to be, you look at, um, you know, average pay across the league. And those are kind of the next positions there that are, that are grouped together. Um, I, I had a really interesting point made to me by somebody on the PFF analytics team um, that really kind of hit home that made a lot of sense. And it was, I, I always kind of would have leaned edge rusher there, right? Or your guys that can get after the passer as being that next most important position. Um but a key difference there is, is kind of how they can impact plays. And if you think about, uh, it, it was funny, I was going back and watching some of the DeForest Buckner plays from this year, and one of the first ones that I watched uh, from the, the Panthers game was this play where he basically bull rushes Norwell, actually, uh, which was, was funny considering the, all the free agent love that he's getting. Um, bull rushes Norwell back into Cam Newton's lap and just, just dominates the rep, gets pressure on him, forces a really tough throw from, from Newton, but he's Newton's still able to get the ball out uh, to a wide open receiver and they end up scoring a touchdown on that play. So it was a really great play, great snap from your, your player up front. Um, and it still can't end the snap, right? The offense still has, even though it may be less likely, right? We talked about the 30 point drop in passer rating. When you have pressure, it's still possible for them to have a positive outcome on the play. When you get pressure, when you do something good, you know, up front, if you have a good play as a cornerback, right? If you're breaking up a pass, you're getting an interception. Um, you're, you have, uh, such good coverage that you're eliminating the receiver, you know, from the play entirely. Like those are, those are ending snaps, right? A a pass defense ends the snap. There is nothing that the offense can do at that point to, to get something, some sort of positive outcome. So I think, the value there, and, and this is something that you know they've really looked into in, in terms of getting into the detail of the grading and what adds the most value uh, and what most highly correlates with winning games, and it's that play on the back end, your coverage ability, uh, is really the next most important thing after your quarterback. And so I think that's something where they really need to hit this position hard. They, they need to get some guys uh, in here that can make a big impact. The next position that we'll need to hit is going to be edge. Six of nine players are developmental, are, are developmental or replaceable. Four players are unrestricted free agents, and our only foundational players at this position are Armstead and Thomas, and they're probably better interior players than they are true edge guys as things currently stand. And this is the third most important position on the roster. So when you think of you know quarterback, we've already got sewn up. Cornerback and edge being two and three, however you choose to order them, even if you're going to say, okay, maybe edge is two and cornerback is three, we still don't have the foundational players or core pieces at either one of those spots that we need, and we need to go and get them. Now, whether or not we, I think it's the argument that that we're trying to make that because of the lack of transitional players that we have currently and the the cap space that we've got that you can go and try and get those maybe tier three players, those Michael Bennett's that end up becoming tier two players, right. uh, or maybe even, you know, core players if you get them early enough, or, you know, you, you kind of get that transitional player and then go out and, and double up in the draft and, and develop them and then end up having a glut so that when your draft pick is ready to kind of flourish and perform, your transitional player is able to move out. 
and and you don't necessarily need to double dip in every instance, but these are going to be the the positions that you're going to not just need to be able to solve with one player in free agency, but that you're probably going to need to get some combination of free agency and draft in order to really fill this position out. Yeah, and, and I think you know the only thing to to really add there, everybody knows about edge and and how important that is, and I think getting a true kind of speed edge rusher in the mix is only going to make things easier and, and make those other players on the D-line better. The Buckners, the Armsteads, you know, the Solomon Thomases, they're going to really benefit from having that player on the roster. And so I think if they can get that, uh, you know, it, obviously that in and of itself is a very key piece, but it makes the rest of your guys better as well. Then you've got pass catchers, wide receivers. We only have one top-end pass catcher in the foundational and, transi- and, and transitional tiers, and that's Pierre Garçon. We have some promising players in Trent Taylor and George Kittle, but we could definitely use more weapons in the passing game that are capable of creating some kind of a mismatch. Now, because of Kyle Shanahan's ability to scheme halfbacks and tight ends in the passing game, it doesn't necessarily need to be a true wide receiver. That's why we've labeled it pass catchers. But, you know, it'd be great if it were a wide receiver because I like wide receivers, right? they're, They're great. So worry less about specific position titles here and more about this player's ability to create mismatches and add a value in the passing game. This is why many of you are glomming onto Jimmy Graham as an option, because he is going to be able to create mismatches, even if I don't think that those mismatches are going to be often. Uh, he, <laughs> he still you know, can ha- that can happen, especially in the red zone. Um, so this is going to be an area where we definitely need to upgrade as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, your passing offense is is the most important thing that you do. Um, successful teams in today's game, you have to be able to do two things. And it's, I'll tell you what, it's not run the ball and stop the run. It's, it's you have to be able to throw the ball and stop the pass. Like, that's where it all starts. The value in the passing game is is so much more important um, than than value in the run game. Um, you know, I'm not going to go as far to say is to say that like the run game's worthless or anything like that. But I mean, it, it it's a stark difference, and so you need guys that can contribute in that area. And I think, um, you know, because of you have a guy like Kyle Shanahan that um, you know knows how to fit players at all these different positions within his scheme, right, and, and be able to maximize their opportunities and get them in good positions. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be. Uh, again, a situation where it has to be a receiver. If they they can find guys, you know, at running back that can contribute there, they I think they could use another tight end to pair with George Kittle, right? That that can really be, um, you know, more of a pass heavy guy. I think the where the position consideration comes in is the value and and how much they should be paying for them in free agency. You know, where they should be taking these players in the draft. Just because it's a position of need. Um, doesn't mean that you go and spend all of your top resources on getting that position, right? Because it's it's more about how many other players can do these these same type of things, and I can go find them for less, right? That's why you don't necessarily have to go pay for a Le'Veon Bell and free agency in order to get value added in the passing game at the running back position. But I think that, in general, they, they need some more playmakers there, right? You have Garcon, who's uh, a guy that you're going to be able to rely on. You have a few other young guys, um, that we like kind of their specific roles and, and what they're going to be able to do. But the more playmakers that you can have in the passing game, especially with a coach like Kyle Shanahan that knows what to do with them all, you know, the, just the better your offense is going to be. So lastly, you've got the position that everyone probably thought we were going to start with, and that's going to be interior offensive line. Even though we have zero core or foundational players currently on the roster, that's zero. 
Hopefully you could hear that through the flu speak. Kilgore and Fusco were the only transitional players, but neither is under contract for 2018. So, so, you're, so you're all developmental or replaceable in interior line right now. It's um, going to be awesome. As things currently stand. So it's going, be, it's going to be awesome. Literally putting everything on the shoulders of Jimmy Garoppolo. They need bodies. They do. They need bodies. That doesn't mean that they should spend a, a, you know, a top dollar kind of position value there. It doesn't also mean that they should spend a top 10 pick there. But it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be terrible if they did. I don't think that it would be necessarily ideal if they did. But it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But they, they just need someone there that is able to give you, I think, average level kind of play. Yeah. I, think, I think Brandon Fusco, to me, is the ideal version of this. He was someone they signed super cheap on a one-year deal. Like, I wish they almost would have signed him on a two-year deal. Because at his salary, he made, like, what, $3.2 million or whatever it was this year? Yeah, like if you can get, a lot. if you can get two Brandon Fuscos or another Brandon Fusco and Garnett actually decides that his diet you know with no china food is going to make him play better then all of a sudden you've got the makings of you know a, a the, the a line that can sustain long enough for Jimmy Garoppolo to do what he needs to do cuz he doesn't need that much time to do it right Garnett is uh is obviously a key piece there and and his development is going to determine just how much you need there but even if things work out great for him, you still are looking at needing two additional starters right on the interior. So um, again, they, they're going to need to add bodies. I uh, obviously agree that, that this isn't necessarily something that you have to go spend a top 10 pick on, right? If uh, it, it, Look, Quentin Nelson looks awesome. Dude is almost certainly going to be a stud. You don't need that to have a good offense. Um, you need to get uh, you know, offensive line is is a position I think is it is important, but you just need to get to competency really to to be able when you have a quarterback especially that can make those guys look better. Right? We we talk a lot about pass protection is more on the quarterback than people want to give it credit for, whereas you know the offensive line may be a little bit more involved in the run game than they want to get credit for. There, a lot of times you, you see running backs get a lot of the praise in the run game. Um, it's you, you need to hit competent level play as long as you're not a disaster, as long as you're you not can't be Houston, Seattle. Yeah, you can't be Seattle. You can't be Houston, Arizona this year that just have these absolutely atrocious offensive lines like that's going to make life difficult. You're 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 going to struggle. That's going to put a cap on how good you can be offensively. If but you even have that guy, even really, but, really good offensive lines without a quarterback, to, without a, a quarterback playing at a great level, backing them up yeah. or a fantastic running back like Dallas is still not going to necessarily win. Right. Like that's it's I, I would say that this is, you know, to your point, you want someone there to make you want players there to make it all go. You don't necessarily need all pros at guard. Yeah. You, you don't need a, a line full of all pros in order to, to have a good offensive line and to be effective offensively. You just need guys that aren't, you know, Zane Beatles. Yeah, we, 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 we need guys for. that aren't Zane Beatles. That's really yeah, what we're looking a good for. Start. So these are the position groups that we'll be focusing most of our attention on throughout the offseason. It's going to be, uh, in case you forgot, it's because I nearly did, it's going to be cornerback, edge, pass catchers, and interior offensive line. Uh, Our model helped to identify positions to focus on, and our thoughts about positional value and the available talent pool helps us determine how much capital to spend on these positions. So what we'll be doing over the coming weeks is We'll be putting together kind of these matrices of players that are available, their grades, whether it be pro football focus grades or our own kind of scouting that we've done, especially for draft prospects um, and the anticipated kind of market costs that we think they're going to get. 
And we're going to put together players that we think are going to be good fits for the Niners, targets, and, and we'll detail why. And we'll do those for both free agents and for draft prospects that are coming up. And so that's probably what's going to dominate the next, I don't know, couple of months, probably. Yeah, um, I mean, we got, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, we're going to take next week off. You're going to be out of town. Uh, February is really when we get into free agency a lot. I mean, Combine's going to be coming up. Beginning of free agency is going to be at the, the start of March there. Once we get through that, I mean, it's all draft stuff. Draft's going to be end of April. So, I mean, we're going to be pretty packed uh with with stuff i mean yeah i don't think other than next yeah. week we're probably not going to take uh any any too breaks. many weeks off yeah um, unless we have know. to for uh for your wedding because that's yeah be i mean up. um so draft so so my wedding is actually on draft weekend david um so i know we're, we're we have to wrap it up because we're running over time but a really quick aside david went through this like entire i would say probably like three or four months go back and forth with his fiance about when they were going to have their wedding so that it didn't fall during football season and man it was it was a fight and it was really she funny w- to watch she wanted a sidelines. fall wedding so bad uh but then so i talked her out of getting the fall wedding got it bumped it to spring i was like spring is going to be a great time Let's do it in the spring, right? Yeah, and then he tells me the date, and I was like, oh, that's dope. I go to put it in my calendar, and I was like, dude, that's during the draft. <laughs> yeah, and the whole time, so the, the, the whole time, right? So once I got it pushed to the spring, um, and she's like, okay, let's look at one of these two weekends, and it was basically the, the, the last weekend in April, which is where it ended up on, which is draft weekend, uh, and the weekend right before that. And at that point, I kind of had to keep my mouth shut. I'm just like, yeah, whatever weekend that uh, <laughs> that you think would be best will be will be great. Um, and I was like, really, really hoping that she picked the the third week there, like on the 21st or whatever it was. Um, and th- it ended up being her mom is a CPA, and so it was like, you know, April 15th, big deadline. Wanted the yeah. mom to have a little bit more time to recover before the wedding. Yeah, uh, from busy time. So I was like, God damn it. Okay, that's fine. Um, oh, yeah. So I think we'll get, yeah, I mean, it's on Thursday uh, is, is day one. So I think we, you know, may be around day one. I don't know. We'll see how yeah. it goes, see how things are looking then. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do it in the, uh, in the wedding suits. We'll do a, a live podcast oh, in man. better suits than we were wearing last year during the draft. <laughs> uh, you didn't know David was going to get married in that suit that we wore last year during the, oh, drunk, pro- the drunk prospecting? Yeah, you should, uh, you should go back and watch that YouTube video. Yeah, we'll bring that with us, you know. Throw it on later. In the oh night. my god, that's a great idea. <laughs> we are totally bringing those jackets to your wedding, <laughs> so that like once once it hits like and most everyone's gone home, but we still have the venue. We're putting yep. those damn jackets on. We're gonna be yeah. I mean, just wasted. Oh my god, this is gonna be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Uh, remember, if if you want to get some more kind of in depth slash text on what we talked about for Jimmy Garoppolo, you can read my recap of the Pro Football Focus Annual on Niners Nation. It's up there right now. You can always follow me on Twitter. That's at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL. Stay tuned because we may have some T-shirts uh, coming. So stay tuned yeah. the next couple of weeks for details on that. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. If you leave a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast, it helps other folks uh, find the show and it helps us out on our rankings. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Hello. 
Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.